61. Uh, we're going to be reading uh, the verses from 1 to 6, Isaiah 61, 1 to 6. Uh, it's great to have Paul and Jean back and Jonathan and Angela back from their uh, time in Tanzania. Um, they've had a great... I'm, I'm, I've only heard snippets. We're going to hear more about it um, next week, I think, maybe from Jonathan, Angela and Paul and Jean. Who knows? Um, um, but the snippets that I've already heard have been very exciting. Um, really wonderful time out there, really kind of declaring the gospel in lots of places and lots of places which are pretty hard to get to. So um, more about that next week. But it's good to have you guys back. Um, Oh, by the way, my name's Raj. Um, if you're a visitor here, as Neil said, you're very welcome. As you probably gathered, this morning is our gift day morning, or a celebration morning, really, um, uh, an opportunity for the church, us, uh, uh, not just to talk the talk, but actually to walk the walk, to demonstrate the love and commitment of Jesus in the world we live in. Uh, that's what this morning and next week uh, are about, really, a big purpose that God has called to. God has called us to from a very big God. It's brilliant to have uh, Leslie and Nana Sue here this morning. Um, what, what you guys do are part of why we exist as Jubilee, so thank you for sharing uh, a little bit about that. Um, right from... Um, Jesus said very famously, actually, this is, a, this is a famous preacher's paraphrase from Matthew 6, 21. He said, he didn't say it this way, but this is a paraphrase, your wallet is the place that your heart re- reveals itself most accurately. Or uh, Jesus talks about treasure, doesn't he, uh, in Matthew uh, 21. Right from the outset, Jubilee, I just want to thank you, I want to commend you uh, for your faith over the years, your radical generosity. We're not particularly a rich congregation. Uh, this isn't a rich part of the country I'm talking about relative to the UK, but year in, year out, you've shown your heart for Jesus. So thank you so much for your years of commitment. If you're a visitor here, by the way, this is our gift day, but we're not after your money, so don't feel pressured in any way uh, to give this morning. You're very welcome to. We're just grateful that you're here. As you know, as Neil said, over the last few weeks uh, and, uh, and next week, uh, all the elders have, speak, have been speaking from passages that God has put on their heart about uh, the vision of the church in, uh, in terms of what we're about, why we exist. I've loved listening to the other guys as they've passionately expressed their zeal for Jubilee. Sarush a few weeks ago exhorting us, if you remember, to be men and women, families actually, uh, of faith on a mission together. Last week, Simon um, read that very familiar passage from, uh, from the Bible about the church being a dynamic body, living stones together, a wonderful picture of community on a mission for our lovely Jesus. This morning, actually, God has put, has really stirred me. He's been stirring me for a while, actually. Um, but this morning, he's really stirred me to unpack why we're called what we're called. What are we called? Jubilee Church. Why are we called uh, Jubilee Church? Because you see, in the Bible, names are very important, aren't they? As you read the Bible. The apostle um, Peter, originally called Simon, was re- renamed Petra, or Peter, the rock 
on which Jesus would build his church. Another example, God renamed Abraham, which means father of many, to Abraham, which means father of nations, as he totally, as God totally ripped large uh, Abraham's small vision of what God was doing in the earth. Names are important in the Bible. And so as many of you will know, you might find me doing this, by the way, because I'm still used to wearing glasses. Uh, as, and so as many of you will know, our, God, our God-given name springs from a prophetic call uh, some, some 16 years ago now about being an Isaiah 61 people, a passage that has become very familiar to us over the years, describing uh, what, what theologians call uh, the year of Jubilee. So what is it? What is the year of Jubilee? Well, the year of Jubilee was something that happened in Jewish history, uh, in Jewish law, every 50 years. You can read about it in Leviticus 25, if you go there from time to time. Uh, And it was pretty radical, really, uh, because in that special year, a trumpet would be blown across all of Israel, and God's people at that time, in that year, would set all their servants free. They would cancel all the debts that were owed to different people. They um, They would give back the land that people had acquired through other people's misfortune or bad luck or whatever the reason. And it would be a great time of rejoicing, really, a great time of freedom, of generosity, forgiveness, celebration, and unity. Can you imagine it? If I blew a trumpet and suddenly your mortgages were all sorted or all the debts that you had were suddenly sorted. Now, Jack can see Jackie nodding there in agreement. And really, Jubilee, this Jubilee principle was God's way of reminding his people that all the stuff they had, all their possessions and land and livestock, wasn't theirs, but God's. And Jubilee was God's way of saying, I do not want permanent poverty and injustice and inequality and greed in my land. That's not what I'm building, says God. A phenomenal institution, if you really think about it, declaring the grace and compassionate heart of our wonderful God. And then roll the film on 600 years. Later, Jesus sits down in a synagogue one day and launches his ministry with these very same staggering words, Isaiah 61, God's Jesus' kingdom manifesto, if you like, declaring ultimately at the end, Jesus, I am the one who will bring God's ultimate jubilee, ultimate freedom, ultimate celebration um, to the earth, to everybody. Phenomenal, really, uh, when you think about it. So we're going to read together Isaiah 61. of These passages will be very familiar to you. So, here we go. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Can you read that? Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, jubilee, and and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow upon them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, 
a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here this morning. I thank you that we're not just worshipping a dead, crucified God some 2,000 years ago, but you are alive, resurrected, and living with us today. We thank you for God, your Holy Spirit, that you sent to us so that we may uh, be filled on a daily basis, that we may experience you in every way, that we may, uh, through your filling, be launched out into the world around us, into this nation, into, the, into other nations, to be salt and light, uh, a city on a hill, um, a wonderful display of your splendor in, in the darkest of darkest places. So, Spirit of God, fill us this morning as we hear your word. Spirit of God, excite us about your mission. Spirit of God, um, uh, um, uh, give us faith for your journey ahead, your adventure ahead. We pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, four things this morning. A lot of you will be familiar with probably the four things. Four actions, four R words. We haven't heard them for a long time, have we? That guide and give us direction in terms of what's important, where we're going, and where we are to be. So firstly, the first R, we're to be a people who receive Jesus in spirit and in truth. That's a no-brainer, isn't it? That's what we've been doing all morning. Secondly, we're to be a people who reach out to the lost. Thirdly, we're to be a church who are passionate about restoring dynamic and transforming relationships in biblical community together. And fourthly, as a church, we're to go out of our way to release everyone into their adventure of faith and service to God. Receiving Jesus, reaching out, restoring community, releasing people. Four hours, which many of you will be already aware of, very familiar with. Familiar with. God's vision for this church hasn't changed. Why? Because our God hasn't Change. So that's where we're going to go this morning. So firstly, receiving Jesus. Question, who likes watching Columbo? Columbo. I like Columbo. I used to love watching Columbo with his big cigar and long coat and clapped out banger of a car. Brilliant. We liked, we liked it because Columbo always seemed clueless. I, re- I, re- I relate to people who seem clueless. Um, throughout, you don't really get what he was doing. But then at the end, boom, it all made sense when Columbo brought it all together. Every dumb question, every annoying visit, every bit of seemingly pointless evidence all clicked together suddenly, perfectly. And the murder was solved. Everyone was shocked. <gasps> was it really her? Well, I never. Well, when you read Isaiah, and I've read Isaiah recently, it's a very hard book to read, 
but I'd encourage you to read it. When you read Isaiah, it's a bit like that. There's a plot line, a story that is unfolding, which ultimately explodes in the final chapter, especially in the chapter that we've just read, Isaiah 61. You see, to begin with, as Isaiah lays out his vision in the early chapters, um, his vision from God with lots of stuff going on concerning, there's a whole lot of stuff concerning nations and politics and massive renewal and recreation of the earth. Uh, an end-time city, the new Jerusalem, loads of big, big stuff that God is revealing uh, to Isaiah. Into this big, bustling story is weaved suddenly a figure, a figure that begins to appear in the writings before our eyes. This figure has many royal titles at first, which link him directly to God. Isaiah 9, 6 says this, and we'll probably read it out at Christmas maybe, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You've read that before. In Isaiah's time, they'd have been asking, who is he? Who's this figure? This figure, Isaiah tells us, is, is the stump from the shoot of Jesse. A king in the line of David. Isaiah tells us he is filled with the Spirit and rules with perfect justice. And that through him, God's rule and reign will be realized. The one Messiah King of Israel. Whether you like it or not, that was God's ultimate unstoppable plan through this wonderful, glorious King. Isaiah 11.12 says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. But then as we keep moving through the chapters, there's another figure starting to come out. What looks like a totally different figure, actually. This one is not so mighty, not so eye-catching. In fact, at first, we have difficulty, as you read Isaiah, recognizing him. Who is he? Why is he there at all? But clearly, as we read through Isaiah, he's important. This figure, this seemingly different figure, is very important to God's plan. Isaiah 42, here is my, not king anymore, servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. Hear this, I will put my spirit on him too, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed will not break Uh, will not break and a smouldering wick will not snuff out. Totally opposite to the king that we've been hearing about. Yet in faithfulness, he too will bring forth justice and a whole load of other stuff. The plot is thickening in Isaiah. And then as we get to chapters 49 and 50 and 53, it gets worse, tremendously worse, horrifically worse. The other figure... This other figure increasingly meets discouragement. He meets opposition. He meets persecution. In fact, brutal torture and ultimately death. What is going on? Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. What? Shocking, baffling. Who is this one? But then 
the bombshell hits us. As we read through page by page, and certainly by Isaiah 61, it becomes clear the fog lifts. These two figures are actually the same person. A suffering king. You see, this is Isaiah's theological breakthrough. For this world to be put right, for us to be put right, for our relationship with God to be healed, for everlasting joy and peace and re- uh, uh, for everlasting joy and peace uh, to reign for eternity, he, this one, this figure, will have to suffer and die. It's the only way. And so, in Luke 4, as Jesus kicks off his ministry and reads this very same passage and then sits down with everyone watching him, waiting with bated breath as to what he's going to say next. You know what? He doesn't disappoint them. He says this, Today, in me, says Jesus, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow! Jesus is saying, I am the one who will bring salvation to the world. I am the one who will defeat your biggest enemies, sin and death. I am the one who will bring about renewal and restoration to the nations. I am the one who will give you new life and take you out of condemnation and despair. I am the only one who will bring you forever and ever and ever eternal hope. Me, the Messiah King, me, the suffering servant, we are are one. It's the only way. That's the story of Isaiah. Jubilee, as Simon said last week, he is at the heart of everything we do, say, plan, strategize, organize, give to, whatever. It's all about Jesus. Whether it's volunteering at open door, whether it's running sparklers uh, or leading community groups or going to Canada or Tanzania or sitting on the board of trustees, Jesus, Jesus is central to all those things. He has to be. There is no other way. We wouldn't do what we do if it wasn't for Jesus. The truth of Christianity, you see, isn't a set of rules and do-its. It's a person, Jesus, this person, this one. The foundations we lay and build upon are not good ideas or plans, but Jesus Christ himself, made real to us by God the Holy Spirit, who's here today. Do you believe the Bible tells us that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on us too, now? We want to be men and women and kids filled regularly with God the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus' promise to us. That's what he won for us on the cross. That is where we get, through God the Holy Spirit, filling us regularly, wisdom and power to do all the stuff we do. And if it isn't where we're getting it from, it won't last. Keep your prayer life jubilee alive in the Spirit. Keep your Bible reading jubilee dynamic in the Spirit. Keep your relationships with one another and other people authentic in the Spirit. Keep your worship true by the Spirit. Question, are you filled with God the Holy Spirit? Are you? It's a very important question. 
If you're not sure, you're probably not. And we'll pray for you tonight, probably. The Christian life cannot be lived out to the full without God the Holy Spirit filling you on a daily basis, bringing Jesus alive every single moment, every single day. Fact. Jesus is important. Point one, keep receiving Jesus through word and spirit. Secondly, knowing all of that, knowing that he has all authority, knowing that Jesus is the one, secondly, he launches us out to be a reaching out people. Reaching out. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Why? Why? What does he say? What does, what does Isaiah say? I'll tell you what he says. He says to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, God's jubilee freedom and celebration and the day of vengeance of our God. Jubilee, being a follower of Jesus, involves reaching out with the truth of Jesus. We have a God-given message to proclaim in a blind and broken world. Just switch on the telly. This is a hot issue, of course, today, isn't it? This is controversial stuff. People don't like us doing it. Why can't you take Jesus out of it all? In fact, it's worse in other countries, in Iraq, Iran, Korea, other places, China, parts of Africa. People are dying doing this stuff. Martyrs for Jesus. Horrific. But happening. You see, when you put Jesus first, when you are gripped by God the Holy Spirit, that's what it looks like. That's what happens. You cannot help yourself except declare the wonder of this Jesus. The singer uh, Sinead Sinead O'Connor said in an interview once, that's the baldy lady, for those of you who might not know who Sinead O'Connor is, she says this, as a race we feel empty. She's not a Christian. As a race we feel empty. This is because our spirituality has been wiped out and we don't know how to express ourselves. As a result, we are encouraged to fill that gap with alcohol, drugs, sex and money. People out there are screaming for the truth. Next Thursday, as Neil said, Alpha kicks off. Can I encourage you to get people along? Even to this day, I'm so grateful to God that there was a local church in York running Alpha that I went to. And a young doctor called Elizabeth Liz invited me to it. Her question, her invite, changed my life forever. In fact, only a few weeks ago, you saw the fruit of Alpha all lined up here the other morning, didn't you? Pray jubilee about who are you going to invite to this next Alpha so that we can declare the gospel and for the gospel to set them free.
You see, more and more, just like Alpha, more and more we want to create opportunities for the joy news of Jesus to get out there through words and deeds, whether it's through Alpha, through our Sundays, through our ministries to the needy and poor, through our community groups, through our links with uh, churches abroad, through the Hope Foundation, through Sparklers, through Safe Families. There's a big list of stuff that God is doing uh, through this church, through our commitment to Jeremy and Anne uh, uh, and the Christ Central family of churches that we're part of, through all these things which many of you already uh, invest in in so many ways, we want the gospel of Jesus Christ out there, don't we? like a lighthouse for all to see, especially the poor. God has a heart especially for the poor and the marginalized and the forgotten. Do you get it? Question. How is your life, your family, intentionally reaching out to the lost, especially the poor, especially those with chaotic lifestyles, especially possibly people who get up your noses. What does it look like? Are you bringing your kids and family into this journey? So what are we called to? First, to receive Jesus regularly in spirit and in truth, to keep him at the center, the main thing. Secondly, We're intentionally called to live a life that reaches out far and wide with the life-shaping gospel of Jesus in word and deed. What does the Bible say? Faith without action is dead. Thirdly, we're to be a people who go out of our way to restore community. You see, that's the big difference. The church isn't just an organization which does a lot of good things. It isn't just a social action department that puts on things like, um, like, like sparklers, like open door or whatever. It isn't just a place where we entertain a group of like-minded individuals on a Sunday morning with some lovely songs. No. The church is a growing, vibrant, beautiful community of believers where God dwells. That's the difference. Look at the second half of uh, of verse 3 in Isaiah. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That's the church. This church jubilee is something that gets planted. It was planted 16 years ago. Its roots go deep. It's here to stay. It grows and shelters. It's visible. People recognize it for its staying power, its perseverance through storms. And its main purpose is to outwardly declare the wonder and grace of our God. And I'm not talking about the building either. I'm talking about you and me, God's beautiful church, plan A. It's quite funny, um, Simon told me a story the other day. Some of you might know Arnold Bell, and this is about the church not being a building, but the people of God, and apparently someone rang him and said, uh, can we hire the church? And he went, what, all of them? (laughs) Which I thought was quite funny. Gordon Fee writes about the church. I love this description of the church. God isn't simply saving diverse individuals and preparing them for heaven. Listen. Rather, he is miraculously creating a people for his name among whom God can dwell and in 
who in, and who in her life together will produce God's life and character in all its universe, uh, unity and diversity and joy. Whoa! I get excited when I read things like that. Do you? Jubilee, just look around. Isn't it jaw-dropping how over the years God has built such a diverse, vibrant, loving community? Different nations, different languages, different backgrounds, different stories, growing in our closeness and service to God and to one another. Yes, it is harder. Yes, it is slower. Yes, sometimes it doesn't feel very trendy. Yes, there are bust-ups. Yes, we get up each other's noses from time to time. But yes, 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 it's crucially important to the plans of God. It's what marks us out from all other organizations. God is here, gluing us together for the display of his glory. And you know what? been thinking about this a lot recently. It's a generational thing too. Increasingly, I felt God uh, has been calling, um, calling for a church of fathers and mothers to be sons and daughters, not just a hierarchy of bosses and, uh, and, t- and team leaders. That's not how God works. We're a family, men and women with wisdom and vision and uh, whose greatest yearning is not to see themselves excel, but to see their children grow and overtake them in the plans and purposes of God. You see, generational community is all about something called spiritual inheritance. It's all over the Bible. Where, hear this, where my ceiling becomes the next generation's platform. As we build and build and build and build Jesus' church. If you're an older person here in this church, and by that I mean 44 onwards, I'm 43. (laughs) The crossover point changes every year. Older people, are you intentionally nurturing others? Younger people, Are you deliberately building friendships with older people in the church? Very important. And to all of us, are you in deep community, regularly uh, going deeper with one another? If not, why not? Lone Ranger Christianity is not, not a biblical option. It isn't. So third R, restoring deep community. Very, very important. So where are we? One, we are to be a people. A little bit louder. Point two, we're to be a people. To the lost. Three, we're to be a people. Restoring deep. Oh, is it there? Ah. You're cheating. I thought I was doing very well here. The first time we went through this, it took at least six months. Anyhow. Fourthly, finally, releasing people. One of the most uh, poignant scriptures, uh, scripture verses that God has spoken over over me over the years is Galatians 5.1. Can anybody remember what Galatians are? Galatians 5.1 says this. It is for freedom... It is for freedom 
that Christ has set us free. What also sets us apart from other worldly organizations is that we are first and foremost a people who know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. If you're not a Christian here this morning, that might sound really odd. But when the Apostle Paul, who wrote this, um, he himself, prior to his conversion, was an out-and-out, proactive, premeditated persecutor, murderer, and torturer of thousands of Christians in the early uh, church, and who eventually was beheaded for his newfound Christian faith, this Apostle Paul, who wrote this, is acknowledging that Jesus Christ saves people from their downward spiraling path of choosing life without God. Leave me alone, God. I don't need you. In fact, that was very much my own, my own story. I don't know if many people, I haven't shared my own story here um, for quite a number of years. I do it on Alpha from time to time. As a child, my life was pretty good. I went to a, a good school and then I went on to college and eventually I ended up in medical school. Uh, education and schooling, I thought, was the main way to become successful in this world. That's where my security and confidence was, if you like. And, and also throughout this time, I tried to find religion and God in different places. I searched for him in Hinduism, in Buddhism, in yoga, and all sorts of stuff, really. Eventually, I gave up because I didn't find him. My conclusion then was that he wasn't real, a figment of my imagination. As I left the safety of my home and moved through the stages of medical school, and in my, uh, uh, in my 20s, the God of my life suddenly changed. Suddenly, the God of my life became pleasure and status and selfish relationships and drink. Life really started to revolve more and more around me. I did what I wanted to do. There was no room for a spiritual God anymore to speak into my life. How dare he? In fact, I perceived myself pretty invincible. I was fairly brainy. I might shock some of you. I was fairly brainy. I started feeling the worldly status of being a doctor, particularly when I started getting paid. I didn't, I didn't need God. I was strong enough and resourceful enough to get on, with, get on with my life without some God getting in the way. Thank you very much. God was for weak-minded people like you lot here. I was a doctor top social class ranking. I was, uh, uh, what was more noble than caring for the sick? Why on earth did I need God? In fact, I was doing God a favor, sorting out his mess. Notice, however, I kept on referring to this God in all these conversations. This God wouldn't leave me alone. But nevertheless, my pride and arrogance was getting way ahead of me. But then suddenly, totally out of the blue, really within the space of a few uh, months, that pride and arrogance was immediately put into check. The world that I thought I was totally, completely in control of came suddenly crashing down, and I felt as if I was left with nothing. After an emergency admission to James Cook, James Cook Hospital, uh, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 50, I was in my 20s, and she died within a few weeks. Also around the same time, a bit earlier actually, Robin, my brother, one day was found dead in his car by only 28 years old with a suicide note in the glove box and a bottle of vodka on his lap. Life, 
Life as it does, life as it does took a turn for the worse. Through my subsequent depression and downward-spiraling lifestyle of drugs, alcohol, and me-satisfying relationships, I realized that I was going down, downhill. And the security and value and worth that I'd hung my very life on was falling apart. But then something happened. Right there in the midst of all the turmoil, sadness, recklessness, quite surprisingly, God turned up. This same persistent God who wouldn't leave me alone. I ended up on an alpha course, actually. I loved it. Things started to make sense. My mind was suddenly open to the realities of my own life. The facts started making sense. God showed me how my sin, life without God at the center, was crippling me. How I'd become uh, blind to its effects. That he was um, a just and perfect God and that I wasn't. That he was the way, the truth, and the life. And that all the other things that I had looked for, for these things, couldn't last, never would last. I came to the breathtaking realization that I needed God. That I needed a savior. That I couldn't get out of this dreadful mess on my own. And one day, in around 2000, I think, I sat in a church in York one morning with tears rolling down my eyes as God intervened, as God showed me his love, God showed me his grace, God showed me his forgiveness, God showed me his life-serving cross. That was the miracle that happened to me some um, 15 years ago. The lights came on, finally, after so long, spiritually alive. Ephesians 2.5 tells us, but because of his great love, Jesus' great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. That described me perfectly. It is by grace you have been saved, Jubilee, if you're a Christian. Jubilee, I, we are passionate to see more and more people come into the life that is rooted firmly in Jesus Christ, aren't we? We want to see more and more people come to know this amazing relationship that we have with a beautiful Savior that died for us, aren't we? He's the one who deals with all that stuff, addictions, insecurity, childhood mess-ups, guilt, filth, condemnation. He takes it away and replaces it with the richness of his grace, what the great British preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon called the great exchange. In fact, we read about it here. It says, to bestow upon us a crown of beauty instead of ashes, uh, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Jubilee, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I want to ask you a big, simple question. Why not? Why not? Why would you say say no to this life-giving God who gives you life-giving freedom? Think about it. But do you know what? That's not all of it. It, if, If it was, that would be great in and of itself. But God doesn't stop there. No way. He keeps going on and on and on. He shouts over us with joy and encouragement more and more and more jubilee. 
Ephesians 2.10, another scripture that has really captured my heart over the years. It says, for we are God's workmanship, his works of art, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Wow. God's masterpiece, the uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said about this verse, it is our business as Christians to learn to think of ourselves in that way, God's masterpiece. And it, is, and it is only as we do that shall we truly function as Christians. Did you hear that? Question, Jubilee. What has God prepared in advance for you to do? Jubilee, don't let life pass you by until you know what the answer to this question is. Don't do it. There's a a thing I read uh, quite a number of years ago. It says, Jesus came to comfort the disturbed. Jesus came to comfort the disturbed, but he also came to disturb the comfortable. I am so grateful to God for the many volunteers and helpers and people Uh, in leadership in this church. I want to encourage you to keep it up. Thank you so much. Uh, As I was writing this, actually, God really directed me to pick Julie Travis. Now, I know she's not here in the room. She's serving. But to pick her out of the crowd as someone who represents what God is doing in Jubilee, who has inspired me and Charlotte over the years. Julie, she can't hear me, it's been a real honor to have her in our church together. You know what? We want to see more Julies in Jubilee Church, don't we? Julie Travis. Julie invites many women to her home and feeds them all. Some of you will have gone to that. Julie serves Stockton Community Group really well. Julie runs her Cakes for Jesus ministry. Some of you will have eaten some of those. Julie loves our children as she helps out in children's work and sparklers. Julie serves on Alpha. Julie feeds our students. Julie helps with catering at weddings. Julie's a great mum and granny to uh, a growing family. She's a great friend to many of you and a great wife to her husband, Paul. You know what? We want to see more and more Julies in Jubilee Church, don't we? And not just women uh, Julies either. We want to see men Julies. We want to see Julies of all different colors and backgrounds. We want to see Julies serving in every, every area of Jubilee. The Isaiah 61 journey, the Jubilee adventure that God has got us on requires nothing less. We are a people who are called to step up to the mark, given what Jesus has done for us. Jubilee, whoever you are, do not count yourself out. Whatever background, whatever language, whatever nation, whatever's gone in your life, do not count yourself out. You know what? You all fit God's job specification spot on. You do. You do. Shall I tell you why? It tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, it says this, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to, um, to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are 
so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, let no one who boasts, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Let me tell you, when I read God's job description profile, God's character profile, I fit the bill. As elders, when I talk to our elders, they fit the bill. That is the grace, and so do many of you, that is the grace and wonderful, that is the grace of our wonderful Jesus to us, that he would use people like us. And just as Jesus said at the start of his ministry, after he read the scroll of Isaiah 61, he said this, today, 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 this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So today, Jubilee, today, not before, not sometime in the distant future, no, today, for those of you who are in Christ, this very same scripture, hear this, this very same scripture is fulfilled in your hearing too. Today. That's what we're about. That's what it says in Isaiah. You will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. A command, a promise to all of us who put Jesus at the center. That is what God is shouting over you and me loud and clear. Do you hear it? Do you feel it, Jubilee? Will you live it? Will you breathe it faithfully as you've done for so many many years, sacrificially, persistently, steadfastly, passionately? Will you live this adventure out? Because it is what we were made for. It totally is. Let's stand. Receiving Jesus reaching out, restoring community, releasing people. We're going to take the gift day uh, collection um, this morning. I'm excited about this morning. I hope you too are. I'm excited about what God will and is going to do through the finances that are collected this morning and next week. I'm excited about how big our God is. And if we look around, we might think, hmm, how is this going to work? But our God is a great giver, and he is a great provider. We all know that, don't we? So I'm going to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for this wonderful church. Thank you, Jesus, for the history that we have together. Thank you, Jesus, that you are building a community of believers where God dwells. Thank you, Jesus, that we are a reaching out people to the lost, to the poor, to the marginalized, to the unloved. Thank you, Jesus, that you have called us to step up to your mark. You have healed us, you have restored us to wholeness, and now you are releasing the God-given potential in all of us. And we pray this morning, Spirit of God, that you'll come upon us. We pray, Spirit of God, that you will call us into your plan in our giving, in our service, not just on the gift day, but in our regular, regular 
uh, giving to you. In every way, Lord God, our heart, our commitment in marriage, our commitment in family, our, all the different areas we serve, Lord, we give our life to you this morning. And if there's, no, if there's people here this morning who are not a Christian, who don't know you, I believe Jesus wants to call you into this adventure this morning. If you're not a Christian here this morning, question again, why not? Why would you not want this that Jesus brings you? We're going to worship. I think Simon's going to uh, direct 